Hello and welcome to another installment of Soccer Pints, your one-stop shop for all things American soccer. I'm your host, Will Clark. If you aren't familiar, Soccer Pints is an American soccer podcast where we cover everything we can about U.S. soccer, Americans in Europe, Major League Soccer, and many other exciting topics. Not only that, but we also enjoy a nice pint or two during these chats, so pour yourself a beverage, if you're of age, of course, and let's get into it. Last week, we took a bunch of questions and had more of a Q&A show discussing transfers for some of our U.S. men's national team regulars, who in MLS should make a move after their season concludes, expectations for the 2026 World Cup, and much, much more. This week, we are going to look at the roster that was just released for our October friendlies coming up on October 14th against Germany and October 17th against Ghana. Once again, Greg has made some great decisions for this group, and while we still have a couple of guys out injured, it's a strong squad coming in. So, we will review who made it, who is missing, and then we will answer another question or two that we didn't get into last week before wrapping up with some final thoughts. Well, Oktoberfest is officially over, and with that brings on something new and different for me. We have no beer feature this week. In fact, I have no pint in my hand today, nor will I have a pint in my hand any day this entire month of October as I am challenging myself to a sober October. And I can hear the booze and shame coming through my headset right now, but hear me out. This is not for fundraising like most people who go through Sober October do. This is more about getting as healthy as I can and making a challenge for myself to get through 31 days without drinking and kickstarting things to get back in better shape. When I first decided to go through with this challenge, I took a hard look at when was the last time I had been sober. And what I mean by sober is not substance abuse or anything like that. I mean, when was the last time I had gone more than a week or two or even a full month like this without drinking? And I couldn't come up with something quickly. My wife immediately remembered hers and reminded me that she had gone 27 months without drinking while pregnant with our three children. As I am very candid on here and transparent, I had to go way back. And apologies to my parents, former coaches, my kids, and others, but I hadn't gone a full month completely sober since my freshman year of high school. When that realization hit, I knew I had to go through with this challenge and make it happen. So while I may feature breweries in other episodes this month, I can't lie to everyone and say I have anything in my pint glass. I will just pick beers that I've had in the past and feature those. So here's the getting through these next two friendlies without having a nice pint. And cheers to November 1st. You can't come soon enough. All right. Well, enough of that depressing news for everyone. Let's talk about the good news and the newest 23-man roster for these October friendlies. And like I alluded to earlier, Greg has once again made some great selections and seems to be understanding the concept of bringing in the best players that he has at his disposal and not just relying on his favorites that he used to do so often. And for today's roster discussion, it's going to be just that, a roster discussion. Since the first friendly against the Germans isn't until next Saturday, my plan is to get another episode released prior to that, hopefully with a guest host to join to preview those friendlies and make predictions. For today, we're just going to focus on who was called in, introduce you to a new face in the squad, talk about who didn't get called in, either by injury or just based upon numbers, and current status within the program. And we're just going to share a couple of thoughts overall for this squad. We only have two goalkeepers coming into this camp this time, in Matt Turner and Ethan Horvath. Drake Callender was the other goalkeeper in camp last month, but with Major League Soccer season coming down to the final two to three matches for each club over the next two weeks, 
It makes sense to leave him at home since he wouldn't be featuring as a third goalkeeper anyways. In the defense, we have the return of Cameron Carter-Vickers, who just returned from injury. In fact, he made an appearance off the bench for Celtic in their Wednesday Champions League matchup against Lazio. We also have Serginho Des, Dewan Jones, last month's newcomer in Christopher Lund, Tim Ream, who just celebrated his 36th birthday on Thursday, Chris Richards, Miles Robinson, who, along with Jones, are the only MLS players in the squad, and Joe Scally. In the midfield, we have Johnny Cardoso, who missed last month's friendly due to an injury right before camp. Luca De La Torre, newcomer Leonard Maloney, who we will spend more time chatting about shortly, Weston McKinney, Eunice Musa, Malik Tillman, and we have the much-anticipated return of Greg Berhalter's godson, Gio Reyna, which clearly we will spend more time chatting about him shortly too. Up in the attack, we have six more names, beginning with Brendan Aronson, Fuller and Balogun, Kevin Paredes, Ricardo Pepe, Christian Pulisic, and Tim Weah. Again, only 23 names this time around and a really solid mix of individuals. First off, the difference in October and September is pretty minimal. I mentioned Calendar not being in camp. If something were to happen to Turner or Horvath, it would be pretty easy to call up someone from MLS to add depth since both of these matches are in the U.S. We also don't have Mark McKenzie or Jedi Robinson in the defense. According to Greg, Jedi came down with a slight knock over the weekend that could be the beginning of a sports hernia. So rest is the best rehab for his situation, so it didn't make sense to bring him in. McKenzie, on the other hand, it's just a matter of being behind Carter Vickers now that he's healthy. Plus, he's recovering from his own broken toe, so that didn't help either. Tanner Tessman, who actually replaced an injured Car- Johnny Cardoso last month, is also missing out this month. Ben Kermashi also isn't included in the midfield, and in the attack, there's no room for Cade Cowell this time around. Not surprising, nothing shocking with any of these decisions. Obviously, Tyler Adams isn't in camp either. He re-injured his hamstring when he made his brief substitute appearance for Bournemouth last week, and it sounds like he might be out for another extended period of time. But with his absence, we gain a new face in German-American Leonard Maloney in his place. Maloney is an exciting prospect for our national team. He will turn 24 during camp this Sunday, actually, and is currently a defensive midfielder for Heidenheim in the Bundesliga. Born in Germany to an American father and German mother, he is a six foot two, massive presence in the middle of the pitch, known for making hard tackles and being an intimidating figure. He is featured for the German U18 and U19 sides, as well as the US U20s back in 2018. He made his Bundesliga debut for Borussia Dortmund back in 2021 before transferring to his current club in 2022 and helped them secure promotion to the Bundesliga last year for the first time in club history. Immediately upon seeing his name called into camp yesterday, I had people all over messaging about who is he? Where does he come from? And it's pretty simple, really. He plays a position where we truly lack depth behind Tyler Adams for a natural center defensive midfielder. He's playing regularly as a starter in the Bundesliga. I know Greg is opposed to a certain defensive center back in, in the Bundesliga and John Brooks, who I should add, He did name drop during uh, the press conference yesterday, but Maloney has a lot of potential. While young, he has great experience, and he should fit in with relative ease into the squad. Also, pretty special for him to be called into a senior national team and immediately get to play against his country of birth in Germany. 
Of course, the headliner for this roster is the one and only Gio Reyna, who we all know had his very public spat with Greg after maybe even during the World Cup. Gio has still not played a single minute since June 18th when he suffered a broken leg during the Nations League final. However, he has been on the bench for the past few Dortmund matches, including their nil-nil draw against Pulisic and Musa's AC Milan on Wednesday. Gio and Greg finally connected last month via a Zoom call, and while we can speculate as to what was said, what their true feelings were for one another, and plenty more, he's in camp again. He's also listed as a midfielder rather than his usual inclusion into the attacking and winger side of the squad, and that is promising. Can we finally move on from this drama and allow Gio the freedom he so desperately needs to help take this national team to the next level? Now, I wouldn't get your hopes up too high as I don't expect Gio to come out and play a ton of minutes in these two friendlies, but it's an extremely positive step in the right direction just to get him back into the squad. I think we are going to see a strong starting 11 out on the pitch against Germany to start with. I won't go into too much of a preview into the matches themselves, but if I were to predict a starting group right now based on this roster release, I would trot out Turner, Dest, Richards, Ream, and Lund to man our defense, Musa, McKinney, and Tillman in the midfield with Pulisic, Balogun, and Weah up top. I did find it interesting to see Paredes called back into the squad. He is one to watch for the future, and he can play multiple positions on either side of the pitch. I would also like to see Scally get some playing time as well this camp since he had to depart in September early due to some family situations. I said it last month, and I'll say it again today. If we show up against Germany the same way we showed up in our first friendly last month against Uzbekistan, we will absolutely get punched in the face and we'll get embarrassed next Saturday. Do I still think we need that? Maybe a little, but I truly hope this squad has learned from that. It looked like they did when they turned up against Oman in the second friendly last month. These two friendlies are going to be tough as nails. Germany and Ghana, both strong soccer nations with great soccer history, and they will be much tougher opponents this time around. All right. Next week, we will jump into those previews and uh, predictions for those friendlies. But for now, let's jump into some questions from last week that I wasn't able to get into. And up first, you always talk about Greg's system and his 4-3-3. What is the ideal formation we need to be playing? It's a great question. It's a very timely question because with Gio back on the roster, he will 100% be dedicated to being our number 10 in the middle of the park. Maybe I shouldn't say 100% because during the press conference, Greg also mentioned he could play as an inverted winger or winger outside, and he's not totally sold on him being the number 10, but he should be 100% dedicated to being our number 10 in the middle of the park. Is that effective, though, with McKinney and Musa beside him or behind him? Maybe. It remains to be seen, I think. I think the answer to this question is that it ultimately depends on who we are playing against. How much are we able to attack? How much do we need to focus on defending? Those tactics can drastically alter a game plan. I've said this out loud before, and someone questioned me by asking, well, why not just play our own game and forget whoever we're playing against? And well, we would get exposed pretty badly if we did that. It's as simple as that. We are still lacking a bit of an identity when it comes to our style, our system, our true tactics, our abilities. Disagree all you want, but think about it. 
If you were to define this men's national team's playing style to someone, what would your answer even be? It wouldn't be a team that dominates possession unless we are playing against a Caribbean nation that we are far superior to outside of Trinidad and Tobago back in 2017, I'll add. It wouldn't be a team that dominates in the attacking third, a team who finishes off every single half chance they get. We struggle in the final third regardless of who we play against. It wouldn't be a bunker-in type of defense that just sits back and takes it for 90 minutes, hoping to counterattack. We used to be that nation 20 to 30 years ago when we didn't have as much talent to hang with top international countries. We still haven't quite put that part together, and that's okay. We have two and a half years to figure that part out. I think on any given day, we can play with any country in the world. We've seen it happen in the past. We have beaten Germany before, France before, Brazil before, Spain before. We have won big matches in big moments. But as we saw against Netherlands in the World Cup, they exposed our limitations, our system, and punished us. We have to figure that part out and understand that we can be more fluid in play. We need to be more disciplined across the pitch, but we also have to be more demanding in the final third, more selfish at times, and finish chances at a higher rate. Once we start doing that, teams will have a much more difficult time trying to figure out the true system, tactical awareness that the U.S. would have. In my opinion, we need a nice mix between a 4-2-3-1 and a 4-3-3, even sometimes a 3-4-3 if we could be better in possession against stronger opponents. If you ever watch Pep Guardiola and how he manages Manchester City, pay attention to his formation or lack thereof. He is genius with what he has them play in, how their movement is, how it opens up spacing for other. It is just so fluid and brilliant throughout a match to see. He is playing chess, essentially, while everyone else is playing checkers. I think that's the expression. So, final answer, Greg just needs to be more like Pep. All right, last question for today. Do you just not like Jesus Ferreira, or do you genuinely think he doesn't belong on the U.S. team? Let me make this clear. I don't not like Jesus. I don't have a personal agenda against him. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. He scores goals against Caribbean and CONCACAF weaker nations. He hasn't shown his ability to play in big matches in big international moments. He had an opportunity given to him for whatever reason in the biggest moment possible, starting against the, the, the Netherlands in a World Cup knockout match without playing a single minute in the group stage. That made no sense at all. Do I genuinely think he belongs on the U.S. team? We just ran through the current roster for October. Who would you replace to put him on the team? I really don't understand the diehard love for Jesus from fans. He is a very good player. Currently a very good MLS player. And he's still young. He needs to go to Europe and test himself at a much higher level to see if he can make it at the international level. How many times do I need to say this? There's no shame either. If he wants to stay with Dallas and break MLS scoring records and whatnot, that's great if that's what he wants to do. But he is not a current top A squad U.S. men's national team player at the moment. And he won't be if he stays with Dallas after this season. He needs to force a move away and go overseas if he wants to find himself a part of this 2026 journey. Then find success overseas and absolutely it'll make for a more interesting discussion. He isn't a natural striker. 
He is not a natural traditional nine player. If he was, he would still be behind Ballo, Pepe, Sargent, Wright, and probably Pifak. As a 10, he is behind even more players like Gio and Tillman and Aronson, Luca, plenty of others could step into that role right now over him. Now, don't get it misconstrued with what my feelings are on him. They are just facts. He isn't a top-level player in this current group, and he isn't going to be anytime soon if he stays with Dallas. All right, on to the final thoughts of the week before we wrap up today's episode. I know it's a little bit shorter than most weeks. Did everyone see the announcement for the 2030 World Cup host? Well, if you haven't yet, it will be the first World Cup to be played in not one, not two, but three separate continents, which is absolutely the dumbest decision I have ever heard out of FIFA. And there's been a lot of them. The first ever World Cup was played in Uruguay back in 1930. And rather than fully return the World Cup back to South America to celebrate 100 years of the biggest tournament in the entire world, FIFA has decided to to award the World Cup in 2030 to a joint bid of Portugal, Spain, and Morocco. Obviously, Portugal and Spain are European nations, and Morocco is across the Iberian Peninsula there in Northern Africa. However, in an even more head-scratching decision, FIFA is allowing Uruguay, Argentina, and Paraguay to each host an opening match of their own in their own countries separately to commemorate the Centennial World Cup. I think it's absolutely stupid as hell to have those three nations play their opening matches on their home soil against three other nations thousands and thousands of miles away from Spain, Portugal, and Morocco, and then make them fly across the world to play in the rest of the tournament over there. FIFA has consistently shown it cares more about making money than player safety or tradition. We know the bribery scandals that FIFA went through in recent years, which ultimately directly resulted in rewarding Russia the 2018 World Cup and Qatar the 2022 World Cup. With the World Cup returning to CONCACAF in 2026, it's supposed to be a rotation amongst all confederations, which means 2030 really should be comnables to have, essentially South America's to have. Especially given the history of the World Cup, it is a perfect time to award the Centennial World Cup to Uruguay in their joint bid effort with Argentina, Paraguay, and I think Chile was involved in that. But FIFA said no. They bring it back to Europe, throws in Africa for only the second time in history, their first time being back in South Africa 2010. And then they include the three countries to host opening matches to cross that one off or check that box off, which leads me to what is coming for 2034. Who is the front runner for that bid now? Who immediately after the 2030 announcement was announced made their formal bid known? That's right, Saudi Arabia. By FIFA including Europe, South America, and Africa all in one World Cup together after 2026 in North America, it is now the Asian confederations to be had. And in FIFA terms, Saudi Arabia and the Middle East are part of that confederation. Who has a ridiculous amount of money that just keeps throwing it at sports? Saudi Arabia. You can't sit here and tell me that there isn't some sort of corruption going on behind the scenes that would actually allow Saudi Arabia to host the World Cup given their culture and stance on many political and social topics. 
We saw what happened in Qatar. It didn't matter what was said in the lead up. You ended up having to go through with their laws, their rules, their culture, or risk being detained or even worse. FIFA didn't care because they were already paid off. So here we go again. And I don't mean to get into uh, political stances here, but I have to call it out when I see it. Would FIFA host a Women's World Cup in Saudi Arabia? Of course not. Does FIFA say they care about equality and rights for all and blah, 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 blah? Of course they do. Actions speak louder than words, though. Shame on FIFA once again, but I can't say I'm not surprised. This is just another example of how corrupt things are in that organization. It always has, always will be. I would just rather go back to tradition. One country hosting a World Cup where people from anywhere across the world with any background, regardless of gender, race, sexual preference, anyone, is welcomed and can experience a true World Cup in that country's culture that is inclusive for everybody to to actually enjoy it. Moving on, and a quick thought here. MLS announced their end-of-the-year nominees for various awards, including league MVP, and after making four appearances in actual MLS games, who made the list? None other than Lionel Messi. An absolute joke to put him on the list. If anyone within the media actually votes for him to be named MLS MVP, then the league can truly embrace their laughingstock status across the world. Final thought this week. To everyone who has sent me well wishes over the past week regarding my support for Manchester United, thank you. It is needed. I appreciate it. The banter has been great. They are a true disaster of a club at the moment. And I am going on record to say what everyone is saying to me already. I know they are in shambles. I know they play with no heart. I know they lack any sort of leadership. I know they have problems. And I agree with all of you. However, I still support the club. Always have since I was a young boy and I always will. I also know the American owners have absolutely ruined them. I know that. But come on, United. And with that, that's it for today's episode. Glad we got an early roster release in to analyze things and see where the squad is. I almost forgot to include the recent word we keep using, which is we are seeing a lot of continuity within the squad. And that's a very positive thing for once. Glad to continue to see that. Again, always appreciate the questions that come in. If you do have a question for the show or would like a specific topic to be discussed like today, please send me a message on Instagram or email me directly at will.clark at thesoccerpints.com. Next week, I hope to be joined by a previous guest host that we all enjoyed, and we will be breaking down the two friendlies coming up, making predictions, and just chatting about anything and everything soccer that we can. Thumbs down to Sober October, but I've got to stick to it and get it done. Until next time, cheers, my friends.